This is the New Music Industry Podcast, and I'm David Angerweeb. Let's dig in. So today I'm chatting with Juno Award-winning songwriter and artist Helen Austin. How are you today, Helen? I am good. A little tired from traveling, but I'm good. Looks like you're doing quite a bit of performing and touring with Big Little Lions. Yeah, we just got back from Mariposa Folk Festival. So, And then before I even got off the plane, our publisher wanted a song that was due last night. And we're doing tweaks this morning. So it's all good. It's all good stuff. But I I, I could do with a bit of sleep too. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's great to have all the work and and your career moving forward. But sometimes, yeah, you want to get that rest too. I get that. (laughs) so this is actually our our second go round at this you know we we had a bit of a practice round shall we say (laughs) the my skype recorder didn't record the interview properly so here we are again fantastic interview i mean it was the best ever (laughs) exactly (laughs) everyone's missing out on so much great content because of what happened but we're gonna see if we can try and duplicate that feat right (laughs) You're one of the first mentioned that, or one of the first people that I mentioned in my book because of the articles you wrote about sync licensing. And that's kind of how I first, or I guess licensing and placements, I should say. And that's how I first learned about you. And I'll just mention those articles so I can put them in the show notes. And if people really want to delve into that deeper, they can. There's four steps to film and TV placement. There's next steps to music licensing, and there's seven steps to finding a music publisher. Also, having talked to you last time, I know that this could be more of a mindset episode than than a tips and techniques sort of episode. Yes. So that's why I wanted to mention those up front. Yeah. But they're all really great. They're all really great articles. And maybe off the top of your head, you could give us just a few tips so that we have something to walk away with for, for licensing and placements. Well, those um, articles that I did, I mean, they're quite a few years old now. So a lot of things have changed because the music, as we all know, is like a forever goalpost changing world. Yes. So, um, wow, tips. Yeah, because when I wrote those, I was in the thick of trying to find a publisher and trying to get licensing. And now that I'm with one publisher exclusively, my life is simplified. So Sometimes it's difficult to think back. I'd have to read the art <laughs> probably to to remember. I mean, mindset wise, and we know you want some tips. Tips, write good songs. No, that's too general. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, watch TV is is a is a main tip. Watch TV because you need to know what's being licensed. You need to see if what you're writing or what you're potentially writing uh, is going to fit what people are looking for. Mm. so that i mean that's the the big one um and watch adverts as you know as awful as it is watching ads uh that's where so many of the placements are mtv and all that sort of thing they they have a lot of music so well they used to be only music obviously it's different these days um so yeah watch tv so that's that's your homework for this week (laughs) there you go and those are all really great tips yeah that's what i hear too you obviously want to make music that people are actually looking for and without that you you don't really have much of a chance of of getting any kind of placements or licensing but you know it's a good field to get into i just i think you know from your perspective it's not easy work right it's actually a lot of work to do licensing and placements work if you want if you're serious about wanting to 
maybe make a living or make a good amount of cash with that, right? It is because, well, I mean, and also, you know, as there's more and more opportunities, but there are more and more people doing it. When I uh, started uh, uh, exploring in 2008, it was still, it was on the cusp of kind of being seen as a sellout thing to do. And a lot of musicians didn't do it, and so there weren't as many of us. And now, obviously, it's 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 the you know everyone wants their music, you know, apart from the you know the most there are some people some bands that still go no no I don't want my music on TV, and and that's great if they can do that. But um, yeah, there are a lot of people now, so the market is a little saturated, but. Mm. You know, I, my, my philosophy has always been you've got to be in it to win it. So, you know, I got off before I got off the plane yesterday, we'd had this pitch for uh, it was a car ad pitch from my um, publisher. And he said, you know, we said we need this by the end of day tomorrow. So I contacted Paul, the other big lion, big little lions guy. Mm. And he wasn't even home yet. He was in his car driving to Cincinnati. And I said, do you think we can pull this off before tomorrow at five o'clock? And he's like, yeah, sure. Okay. Um, because you know, you've got to be in it to win it. You've got to, you've got to do this stuff. Um, oh, somebody else is on Skype. Um, yeah, you've got to actually write the stuff. Cause I mean, you could sit and go, well, I'm not going to get that because it's like, probably a big ad and they're, they're trying to replace songs that they can't afford. Um, but you know, this, it's, it's kind of like throwing darts. You throw enough of them and hopefully one, one or two hit occasionally. Well, and I think that's really an important point as well, right? You got to have the work ethic. <laughs> like, yes. if you if the call comes and you have to get a song done by tomorrow at a certain time, well, then you have to be willing to do it. You got to be serious about about that craft, which I think a lot of people maybe find to be an, a, a counterintuitive or maybe not as creative as they would like it to be. So, for anyone that's thinking, "Hmm, that doesn't sound terribly creative," what would you have to say? Well, ironically, the song that we wrote yesterday morning is probably one of my favorite songs that we've done. And we wrote it in 45 minutes. We hashed it out in 45 minutes, and then Paul got on with the production for the rest of the day. Um, I think sometimes when you have to write, and I found this a lot because I set myself a, uh, a challenge in from 2009 to 10 uh, where I wrote and produced and put out a song a week. And you end, when you have to do it, you end up writing songs you didn't think were in you. I mean, I've never been one of those people that kind of waits for the muse or anything like that anyway. But sometimes when you have to write a song, you, you, you know, the stuff comes out, you just don't know it's there. So we wrote this song yesterday morning and I said, I can't stop playing it. I've got it on repeat because it's like, I, I just love this song. <laughs> and we wouldn't have written it had we not been asked for the, you know, for this pitch. Hmm. So I say, you know, it's a really creative way because what on the one hand you get you're already given a subject matter so you don't have to think oh what am i going to write about the subject matter is there mm-hmm. and then so that that that's kind of half of the battle i think and then the rest of it is just see sometimes when you're not thinking too hard you write something good yeah and i also force myself to write 365 songs so one song every day for a year i think that that's was insane two, it was insane that was either in 2006 or 2007. I'd heard about somebody, I think it might have been like Burt Bacharach or somebody like that, that does that every day, sits down and forces himself to write a song. And I can, I get that. And I, you just throw away a lot of songs, I guess, when you do that, because there's oh, gonna, yeah. because it's all about ratio. I mean, if you write four songs a year, one of them will probably be good. And so if you write 40 songs a year, 10 of them will be good. So it's, 
yeah, it's, I guess it's just about having the output and I don't know. I mean, it works for different for different people, but if you want, but if you're interested in the licensing, like when I got the email, I said, we were just about to get off the flight on Sunday evening, and I got this email, and I told, I was with my daughter, and I turned to her, and I went, oh, I'm, I'm too tired. I don't even know if I'm going to get on the ferry to get me home tonight. I might not get home till tomorrow morning. And but the 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 uh, what's the, the driven side of me goes, we could do this. So, yeah, I started writing lyrics on the ferry. I just thought, well, I've, I've got nothing to do. So <laughs> I'll write some lyrics. There you go. Yeah, and most of those songs that I wrote, by the way, were really bad. And they never went anywhere. But hopefully, you know, artists have some kind of filter to recognize when they have something and when they don't. That isn't to say to like strive for perfection, right? But I think there's also artists out there that go, well, everything I write is great. You know, everything I crap out is just gold. Yeah. And, and having unrealistic, isn't it? It really is. <laughs> Even the best of us don't always write hits. And that's just how it is, I think. I know. I love it when this one we got on Sunday was like, yeah, the, the, the list of tracks that they gave us that you know, they wanted the feel of. It's like they were all of them hit so i said to paul hey we just need to go write a hit okay we've got we've got a day let's just write a hit but that 45 minutes as i say i i love this song and and it's yeah i well i mean i say 45 minutes into it paul said shall i just run with what we've got and i'm like yeah sure okay go for it Mm. well it's it's great when when things come together but i think like you say when you when you have a focus when you know what the song's going to be about when you know what the feeling or genre of the song is going to be, then you already have a, a, a direction for it. And that makes things a little more focused. It does. And that focus of, we have to get this done. It feels like it really kind of, um, makes my mind sharp. Hmm. So I, I like that. You know, I like that. As soon as I, I kind of switch into a different mode, as soon as I get given a pitch, which has to be done really fast, it's like, it's just so much easier than sitting there writing a song just for, for the sake of it. I sort of view freelance writing the same way. It's always a creative challenge, but I always have a title to work with. So I start with the title and then I go, okay, I know what this article is about. And then I begin to flesh it out. So it it really is kind of the same, same idea. You know, you can still be creative within the context of, of the topic. Yeah. And And you've got a deadline probably as well. I mean, deadlines are good because without a deadline, then you could go forever. (laughs) <laughs> well, Paul sent me a, a song that he, the, the melody and stuff like that that he'd done um, a couple of weeks ago, and I just love it. And I was thinking, okay, I love this song so much. The lyrics have to be really good, but we—it's not. There's no deadline on this song, so I've beaten myself up trying to what's the best lyric I can possibly write for this song because I want it to be good, but no deadline. So it, it was a, a bit torturous. Yeah, you're absolutely right. That's also a fairly common creative tendency is to obsess over things. There was was no deadlines for my book. And that was one of the reasons it was two and a half years in the making. Yeah. You need to almost set yourself the deadline. Yes, exactly. You need to with, with, I guess, yeah, I guess that's, that's true of anything that you, that you work on, right? Whether it's music or a book, you'd, you'd, if it's something that you want to put out into the world, then you just have to create your own limitations and boundaries for its completion. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that's great. So tell us a little bit about Big Little Lions and, and the work that you're doing in that in that collaboration right now. 
Well, we met in 2011 at a conference in Los Angeles and um, didn't really think much more of it. We, I think we, uh, we, there was a bunch of us were on this member success panel, so we all had dinner together. And apparently I sat next to him and very clearly said, we don't, I don't collaborate. Because at the time I'd done one collaboration and hated it. Mm. And I don't know why I told him that. And I don't even remember saying it. He goes, yeah, he turned to me and go, yeah, by the way, I don't collaborate. And he went, okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> and moved on. And then we all became friends on Facebook. And I saw a lot of what he was doing with other people and really liked it. And so I think it was, we, we, we keep fighting about this. We don't know what, what date it was. I need to look back in my emails. Um, we think it was like the summer of 2012 when I was, I'd written this song and it was, I was writing a kid's album and I wanted a really good production on it. So I, I just thought, oh, I'll, I'll ask him if he'll do production and we'll do a 50-50 split. And he sent it back and I really liked it. And I had a couple of other adult songs that I wanted some better production on. And so I sent him one of those and I said, can you sing on it as well? And it was, I just, it was just great. It just gelled really well. And I sent it up to my publisher and he said that you guys have to be a band. So we went, all right, well, he's in Cincinnati and I am on Vancouver Island. Why not? Let's do it. So um, we became a band and, and we started gigging in 2014. He came over here and since then we see each other like, I don't know, eight, nine times a year. We, we either at conferences or touring or festivals or something. But all the writing is done by email. We don't like writing in front of each other. Fascinating. How does that email collaboration process work? Well, he, I, he'll send me, one of us will send an idea, just like, you know, recorded on our phone. And if we're into it, then I usually start lyrics. He'll, he'll often have a, um, an idea for a title or, or a subject matter. Uh, and I start lyrics and then we, we just go back and forth a few times and tweak them and until we come up with something we like. And then I let him, then he does all the production side. So I let, let him have free reign on just about free reign on that. Mm. So is the process all pretty organic like that? You're not necessarily trying to always work towards some kind of goal with the group or. Yeah, it says we just write a song when we feel like writing a song, or we write a song when we get when we get um, asked to write a song for a certain thing. So the songs that we, yeah, there's a few that we write just for the sake of it. But there was one he started, I think it was two years ago, and yeah, it took two years to because every time he'd get going on it, we'd get something else in, or he'd get something else in that was you know more pressing and could potentially earn money. So um, this one song just kept getting put on the back burner, but it did make it to our latest album so that was nice mm. now you mentioned production i think last time you said you didn't really see yourself as much of a, a producer or studio engineer right well i i did all my own production until well, my first album i didn't that was in 2007 and then i i was inspired by people like uh, iron and wine and you know the lo-fi type stuff i thought okay i can i can I work within my limitations i can do that and I can produce stuff. It's just that Paul does such a better job on it that he's kind of broken me a little. <laughs> but I still do production. Like I'll, I'll, uh, there's a little girl that I work with who, um, she's how old is she now? She nine now. She was seven when I started working with her. She writes these killer songs, like really good hooks, and um, they're kids songs. And she, we put out an album last year, and we're gonna, or the no, the year before, and she's gonna. We're going to start recording it again soon. 
over the summer. Mm. And so she's she's nine and her sister's seven and her mum plays the guitar and they they do this family band thing and she's so I produce stuff for them because I've got the definitely got the capabilities for that. Mm. Um but when it comes to my own stuff, I I guess I'm I I've done I've I feel like I've gone as far as I can with ukulele and glockenspiel and stuff like that. That uh yeah, I just I just want more. So but I'm also working with another girl. I've been writing for uh, a 13-year-old girl in New York uh, with uh, another guy called Matty Amendola. And um, so we've been writing for her, and he might do some production on some of my older stuff as well. So just always, you know, it's always figuring it out and seeing what's next. Oh, what, How did that collaboration come about? Uh, I met him through the guy who does our mastering uh, when we were at NAMM last year. Oh. And then he um he listened well, he he asked if we had any songs that were suitable for um this girl. She's called Juliana Wilson and she's being hailed as the next big thing. And she should be. She's got she's thirteen and she's got a voice that's a cross between Lord and Adele. I mean it's just mm. it's just a crazily good voice. Um and so Matty asked None of my songs were suitable because they're a bit too grown up. So he asked me if I'd write the songs with them because, you know, I, A, have been a 12, she was 12 at the time, I've been a 12-year-old girl and I've had a 12-year-old girl. So um, he wanted that kind of, he wanted that input onto it. So between us, we wrote, I think, eight songs of the 10 that's going to, that that she's recorded. So that's been an interesting process, writing for her. And, yeah, she it's it's really cool. It's, go check her out. She's quite quite good okay awesome and and kind of uh, wrapping up that topic of of production i mean i mean i'm the same way right I, I enjoy it i don't necessarily claim to be amazing at it but you know if you want to if you want to make music and do it consistently and if you want to be prolific then you almost do kind of have to do it yourself you but, do because it's too expensive just to keep going into a studio and i can't dominate all of paul's time so uh exactly yeah, as much as i'd like to but his girlfriend has a problem <laughs> he's got he's got the best girlfriend but uh i said can i just have him 24 hours a day to record for me she's like no okay fine <laughs> yeah that's so important you could spend a lot of money and time and also you don't really want to do this thing where you have a loose arrangement with a friend i did that before and that's kind of how my my second album ended up folding and never came to be so <laughs> oh no <laughs> yeah yeah you don't want to take advantage if if at all possible yeah but what's your what's your workflow or gear like with recording oh um i have a mac and an apollo twin i'm reading it off my desk universal audio apollo twin and a joe meek uh uh preamp and some very nice speakers that i won from a competition mm -hmm. i can't remember what they're called oh because they're really, really nice, and I want to give them their due, but there's, they're so nice, they don't have their name on them. It's, you know, you know those things that are so kind of... I'm going to look on the back. Hang on. Okay. On the back. Oh, Genelec. Okay, Genelec. Yeah. So there you go. So it's a pretty simple setup, and I've got a couple of mics. Uh, I like the... Uh, I really like the um, Studio Projects B1 mics, and I've had those for a long time. And Yeah. Great. And I think that's really good for anybody that's uh, listening that's a producer or a musician to know that you don't need a huge, complicated setup necessarily. Oh, not at all. I mean, the mics were like $120. Yeah. 
Yeah. And the uh, the my new uh, interface was was more expensive, but you can get really cheap interfaces. And I mean, my daughter is doing a lot of uh, recording now, and she drives me crazy because I, I we got a one we got a, the um, Apogee mic uh, USB mic. It's a really it's it's pretty good mic. Uh, it's my kind of going away. If I need to do a quick recording, I'm an away mic. And uh, I, I find her, she doesn't, she's moved out now, but I used to find her recording in her bedroom with the mic lying on the bed. <laughs> like, what are you doing? <laughs> she's like, I'm coding. I'm like, no, that's not how you do it. No. But she's had a placement on a, on an, a, a TV show as well, just because oh, really? she, well, she's, she's, she's got a nice voice, but not a strong voice. And so she, again, I'm I'm all about uh, limitations because I think it hones a sound. And so she does these, she tracks her voice many times to kind of hide the flaws. And she's got this really cool sound. She, uh, and if you want, if you're interested, she's on SoundCloud under Daisy Squires. Mm. And uh, they were looking, uh, there was a show that was looking at one of my songs and I happened to have sent my daughter's version to my um, publisher and so he said, well, we have this other version that her daughter did, and they sent it, and they were like, oh, wow, we want that one. Hmm. Now, because she hadn't recorded it properly, there was lots of background noise, so Paul I ended up I, – I was away. I was traveling at the time, so Paul ended up cleaning it up for her. And, uh, yeah, she got placed on Significant Mother in an ABC show, I think. Wow, that's awesome. I know. She was <laughs> like, What? <laughs> She she's done some she's done some covers of my stuff and Big Little Line stuff and Paul's stuff and other people. Oh. So yeah, she's but yeah, she needs to learn how to actually put a mic on a stand <laughs> in the quiet room. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean for, for all the singers out there and for all intents and purposes, you should probably be standing so you can use your diaphragm to push out the air. Well, a bit her she I know she doesn't I found her in a truck once because she didn't want to hear us she didn't want us to hear her. Right. I went over the house for her and I couldn't find her and her, her truck was still in the driveway. I'm like, where is Daisy? I go out and I find her in the truck recording because, you know. So, I'm, but, you know, it works. For, and she's found a sound which is unique because mm. of her limitations and it's got that low finest to it. And, you know, if it's, some, if it's stuff that's getting placed, then, <sighs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> yeah there's nothing wrong with it and i mean there are a lot of different techniques <laughs> for recording stuff so there are, i mean try to keep the, the background noise to it to a minimum but i guess if that's the if that if that's the lo-fi sound that you're going for then it, and it, everything should be purposeful though hers wasn't very purposeful but <laughs> it should be purposeful that's a good point. It would be pretty hard to clean up a mix if the voice is really quiet and you end up having to compress and boost it and all that stuff. Yeah, but he, but Paul managed to do it, and it, you know, they, of course, they needed it. You know, within twenty, within within twelve hours, I think. And they always need things within twelve hours, and then <laughs> for like six months. But yeah. Yeah, and that that is a fairly short uh, production time, but it's doable. It is. I mean, if you, yeah, if you. Um, yeah, I think he had a date that night with his girlfriend. <laughs> so I'm texting Jenny going, really sorry, Jenny, <laughs> I need Paul. She's like, fine, you can have him. Right. Now, what about your career before Big Little Lions? What was that like? Well, I was doing kids stuff. Well, I, well, I, was doing, I think I was doing kids stuff. I'd done a few albums, you know, regular albums, and then a lot of my friends had said, you know the, the more jolly songs they really their kids liked and would i do a whole 
kids album. So that's how that happened. And that's how that got me, you know, the Juno and all that stuff, which was really cool. Uh, but I, I realized I wasn't a kids performer. When I watched real kids performers, I realized that I was way too sarcastic for any of that. <laughs> so, uh, in fact, I did a kids show while we were at Mariposa because when we were at that festival, they said, oh, would you do one kids show? So I said, yeah. And it was fun, but. Yeah, I was watching the people before me, and they're getting the kids to dance and do stuff, and I'm like, ah, oh, I just, I'm just not nice enough for that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, and I mean, prior to that, even you were used to oh, be a, a comedian, right? And that's before, me. Yes, yeah. it's just comedy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for nearly which, twenty years. Which might explain why you're keeping me laughing this whole time, but. <laughs> right. No, apparently, coming to Paul and my family, I'm not funny anymore. So. Is that right? Close the door because I, I hear footsteps and stuff. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, so I did, I did comedy. I did stand-up musical comedy for many years, which was – the money was great. Ironically with that, the money was great. Uh, but it just – I knew it wasn't what I really wanted to do. So what made you say, I've got to pursue music after coming to Canada? Well, one of the re- – I mean, we had lots of reasons for coming to Canada, and one of them was um, – well, one of the, the plus sides was that I could get away from the comedy circuit because it was too hard to turn down work uh, to try and pursue music. Um, right. And so I figured if we if I live somewhere where there just isn't, aren't any comedy clubs, then I just can't do it. And I was still going back three times a year for a few weeks at a time to earn money. But um, once I got here, I had this – I mean, I had a new baby when I first moved here as well, so that stopped that sort of thing as well. Um and then I just explored coffee shops and it was just a bit more, it was just way more welcoming than, than especially London was and England in general, mm. because Canada doesn't think it's too cool, which is, <laughs> you know, it, which is good because it, it actually gives you the space. I went to song circles and I played coffee shops and, and that's all I ever wanted to do. I just said to my husband, I funny, I could just play my own songs in a few coffee shops. And so obviously what's happened is way exceeded anything that I ever dreamed of. So, yeah. Yeah, so I, I, I mean, I've been writing since I was a teenager. So, yeah, I just, I, I always wanted to write. That's the, that's the thing I always went to. Yeah, and that's really interesting. So, you know, you, you don't want to do comedy anymore, so you just distanced yourself from it entirely. <laughs> that's a really <laughs> interesting way to, way to go about it. But I, I definitely see the perspective having now been you know, having had multiple careers or multiple jobs in different fields. Well, yeah, you get to a certain age where you have had. I mean, unless you've you been one job for your whole life, it's like, yeah, it's you need change. Yeah, I think I talk about that in my book. But this number just keeps going up. You know, it's like eight, eight or nine careers in their lifetime. Most people will have. It, it might even be higher than that now. So, it, it's kind of a crazy world we're in in that regard. Well, it is, and that's what I, that's what I talked to my daughter about. She's at university right now, and I said. She, you know, she worried, well, she, actually not so much now, but before she went, she was, you know, I need to know what job I want. And it's like, well, yeah, you can do a job for a while and then you can switch and then you can switch again. And and so I think she's beginning to realize that. So she's exploring all sorts of things. So it's, yeah, it's very cool watching that process. But I think it's harder for kids now than it was, certainly for it was for me. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons too, I wonder a little bit about like college or university education. I mean, it's, it's getting more and more expensive, but you're not guaranteed a position right out of school, right? So what are, your, what are your some thoughts on that? 
Um, I mean, I don't know much about the job world because I've never had a real job. Fair enough. So, I, I mean, I, my husband's got a real job, but he has a real job without any education, which was a whole different thing because uh, he dropped out and was a self-taught uh, he's now a software developer who, you know, really, really good at what he does. Mm. But he, it was a different time then, and he could kind of talk his way into a job. Whereas now, I think you do need the education. It's like, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of a catch twenty two. You need the education, but it doesn't guarantee you a job. Yes, because he didn't have the education, and and but that was in you know in the early nineties when the tech sector was a whole different thing. So I don't know. I mean, I watch my I watch my daughter. My daughter's doing music because she wants. She's qualified to be a Suzuki violin teacher, and they recommended she at least get a diploma to, you know, just have that extra theory and history on top of what she already had. So she could now. She could go. And, she's in a quite unique situation. She could actually go and work now and start a school of music because she's a qualified Suzuki teacher. And where we live, it's they're quite rare. Mm. So that was just a kind of a fluke. But I don't know. I mean, no, I don't really know because I've never had a real job. <laughs> <laughs> well, and the flip I don't know side. What I'm talking about really. I'm just, we've got, Paul and I have this song called Make It Up As We Go Along, and that's been pretty much my philosophy my whole life. <laughs> right. Well, on the flip side of that, though, you've stayed in music for a considerable amount of time now. So obviously, there's, there's, you must enjoy it enough to want to do that, and it must have also paid off in a way for you, right? I've always wanted. I mean, I did music from. I did music because it was easy when I was at school, and then I carried on and did a performing arts degree because it was easy. Mm-hmm. But it, it was. But I, 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 yeah, it's one. I'm one of those people. I have no plan B. I don't know what else to do. There's, there's just nothing else. That I could. I mean, I, I like them. I do. I manage us as well, so I, I can do the management side and all that stuff. And I like that side of it. But yeah, I, I, I we were coming back from the doing this festival this weekend, and my daughter was like, "Oh, I'm so I'm exhausted. I can't wait to go home." And I said, "Oh, I wish we were just starting it all over again." She's like, "Wow, you're doing the right job." And I was like, "Yeah, I am. I, I love it." I hear that's actually one of the commonalities among a lot of successful musicians is they can't really imagine doing anything else. Yeah, I mean, there is nothing else to do. I mean, for me, there's just nothing else. But I, oh, hang on, my alarm's just gone off. I'm just going to switch off my radio. Oh, okay. I wish I was waking up at 11 o'clock, but <laughs> no, I'm still a mom, so I had to drop off my son earlier somewhere else. Right. No, this, yeah, the, I, I, but I am lucky that I also have a... I've been married for you know twenty four years this month, and uh, wow. so I've had so I've had this stability. I mean, we've, it's been back and forth over the years, but I've got this you know live with someone who has a kind of vaguely stable job, as stable as you know anybody can have. Um, so I not just relying on myself. So I do have. I recognise that I am very fortunate to have the room to be a musician. Mm. And I know, I mean, and Paul, you know, he's, he relies on himself, so it's a little less secure for him. I mean, it is, it's a very insecure job. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So I'm, I, 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 I constantly recognize how fortunate I am because I know that a lot of people don't have that kind of, that fallback of somebody with a real job in the house. Gotcha. 
Now, what about the importance of social media? I'm sure that's sort of oscill- <laughs> oscillated over time for you. You know, it's it's been maybe more important and less important at times, and it's also changed a lot. So, it is another moving goalpost. Well, I remember when Facebook, I, I was I had I had MySpace, and I thought then that was just cool because I got to connect with a bunch of friends. Yeah, and then Facebook came out, and I remember absolutely. Just so mad at it, going, who needs to know what who's doing all the time? Who cares? Uh, I remember <laughs> ranting at my husband about it. This is just stupid. We should just be getting on with what we're doing, not telling everybody what we're doing. And, of course, now I'm on Facebook all the time. <laughs> and it is a sent Facebook. Tw- I mean, Twitter, I find le- – I, I, I use Twitter because you have to. Yeah, but yeah. I find it less of a interactive thing. I mean, Facebook is way more for me, way more interactive. I know other people use Twitter differently, and um, and they, I do, yeah, it just doesn't doesn't work as well for me. But yeah, it's it's essential. It's essential to keep moving and um, use the new stuff that's out there. And yeah, yeah, it, it, it's a lot of people hate it, and and it, and I spend ridiculous amount of time on facebook and luckily my husband recognizes it's part of my job rather than giving me a hard time yeah and my daughter once was like oh you ever are on facebook you don't do anything <laughs> well actually i'm you know researching and and finding gigs and you know you can find and and the psychology of facebook i find fascinating what works what doesn't what gets people to click what you know what makes people what turns people off so I spend a lot of time doing that, trying to figure out the psychology of it. Yeah, and it's true. You can really get a good sense of how people engage or what people engage with by by consistently posting to Facebook. But I also appreciate your perspective in the sense that, you know, I don't necessarily post a whole lot of personal things. You know, I, I, I would rather have people go to my website, so I'll write a blog post then publish that over to social media. And that way, if people feel inclined to read or learn more about what I'm up to or what I'm doing, then they can go and do that. Well, I think it's important to have some personal stuff because people want to know when people want to feel like they know you. So right. I, I put, put, I mean, I've, I've got kids, which are always a great source of, of entertainment. And I only, I put like silly stuff up about the kids. I remember once finding, um, finding a rubber duck with, with a Lego clone trooper up its butt, and <laughs> up this duck, this rubber duck's butt, and I'm like, should I be worried? <laughs> <laughs> and so, so when things like that happen, I put them on Facebook because it's kind of, it, it, I, I, I find it funny, and it's kind of, it makes you, it humanizes you. And so I kind of, I don't, I try not to put on, hey, my kids are great because I've done this. I try to put the kind of more self-deprecating <laughs> like um i don't uh i was on the way home from the flight on um on sunday and my husband texted me said oh i'm really looking forward to you coming home and i said oh did you miss me because and he said dot 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 there are no clean dishes left <laughs> and i things like that i put on because it kind of it, it it's that is how we are that's how we, we act and it's uh it's funny how the people that took that seriously and said you know like oh wow he's not really nice sort of thing i'm <laughs> like <laughs> No, I actually came home to not only clean dishes, but you know, clean sheets and all sorts of things. So, but but just stuff that makes you human. I've tried. I put on there, and right now I'm 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 quite politically active on there because there's so much happening politically, and because I 
have three passports. So I'm interested in. I'm. I'm. I'm I was. I'm an American because my mum was American. I was born in the UK and I now live here. So I'm interested in so many political arenas. So, yeah. But I, again, try and keep it interesting. Gotcha. No, that's a really good perspective, actually. So posting funny things or, or, or just unusual and different things that happen. I have some friends that are actually really good at doing that too. So uh, I think the balance, uh, I think, I mean, they say 10 personal things, one, one, um, uh, yeah, marketing thing. Cause you don't want to turn people And this is what I don't like about Twitter. I'm it's, I, I put some personal stuff on, but I can't put personal stuff on big little lines cause I'm talking for two of us. Mm. And so that's a that's a tricky one. Like for my personal stuff, I can put you know that my Twitter thing is filled with politics and silly stuff. But yeah, for big little lines, we try. I try to figure out how to make put personal silly stuff as well as the marketing, and it ends up being more marketing just because I can't talk for Paul. I can't put political stuff on there because that's not fair on him. You know, because it's the two. It's it's two of us. Does the character limit somewhat factor into that as well? Yes and no. I mean, I no, not really, actually. Because I, mean, I mean, if I think of some, I, I, I'll do some retweets of my cat is sad for big little lines. Anything that's cat related because of our name. <laughs> so I'll try and find some fun stuff. It, 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 I, remember, I read an article years ago, and the first when Twitter first came out. And it was a uh, be interesting and interested, and I think that is important to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, even when you're marketing, you've got to be interesting and you need to be interested in other things as well, which is harder on Twitter because there's just so much. It's like, it's for me, it's a bit of a, you know, tsunami of stuff. It really is. Whereas Facebook's a little easier. Yeah. No, that, that's a really great tip. Be interesting and interested. Very true. Yeah. Good thing for all of us to remember. Yeah, in life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, this is something that, you know, I've I've asked a few people. Hopefully, you know, someday soon I'll be able to publish this big post about it, but I can't really speak about it, which is why I'm kind of collecting a lot of different answers, which is how do you balance balance marriage and family life with your music career? We've well, I say we've been together a long time, and we got married just to, but to keep him in England. He was Canadian; he's Canadian, and he was about to be kicked out of the country. So <laughs> we've been dating a few weeks now. So I said, oh, "I'll marry." You. So we got married. Um, so we didn't get married for love, but it worked out, <laughs> and we we were dating definitely, but um, not for long. So again, we've been like that. The, the song we wrote, "Make It Up As You Go Along." We've just been figuring it out at each stage. And when he met me, he I was gigging six nights a week easily. So he knew, and he had a regular job. So it was difficult. It was handy that we started living together so fast. Otherwise, we would never have seen each other. Mm. Um, so he knew what he was getting himself in for. But as the musician in the relationship. Um, I think you need to be married to someone who has really, really got got really good self esteem, because I was going away a lot. I was, especially in comedy, I was away with men a lot, and now obviously the, my main work partner is another man, and they have just have to have really good self esteem because, um, I, because my husband is nothing but happy for me, uh, and I don't, I mean, I don't know how we got to this point. I don't know. I don't remember if it was anything else. I mean, we certainly fought over the years, but not about 
careers. Yeah, I mean, I don't. Yeah, I don't know if I'm lucky or we've just managed to. We talk a lot. We talk a lot. So I think that's what you need. You need communication. I yes, think yes. if you're going to be a partnership. And you know, I was telling there was uh, I met we met this uh, young kid, amazing musician at the weekend, Benjamin Dakota Rogers, really good songwriter. And uh, and I said, God, if I forget to text all weekend, he just says, Oh well, I'm glad you're having a good time. You've you, you know, if you didn't text, you were having a good time. <laughs> and I was like, Wow, how? And he was like, Wow, how did you get that? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> Yeah, so he's just so supportive. Hmm. So I don't know how I don't know how it works. I mean, I've, I'm certainly respectful of his time, and if he says no, I respect that. Like he says, you are, do not work New Year's Eve. I used to work New Year's Eve, and he said, I, I don't want you to work New Year's Eve anymore. So I stopped. Uh, sounds like a fair compromise. <laughs> well, it means I listen because he's so supportive that when he does have a request, I listen. Like he said, uh-huh. you know, please don't go away for more than three weeks at a time. And so I said, okay. Gotcha. And I know that if something big came up, which meant it, I know that he would also, you know, yeah, it's constant communication. And what, what about having kids? Does that have a major impact or make any difference for your music career? Well, I had, I mean, I had my first kid while I was doing comedy, which was great because I was working in the evenings and home all day. Um, so that was perfect. And then he was home all evening and out all day. Um, and then when we had the second one and we came to Canada, I I was pursuing music, but you know, I would, you know, then had two kids, and it was we we're very traditional. As in, he's better he's better at earning the money, and I'm better at doing the kids stuff and you know driving them around and you know all that stuff. So we split it very evenly. I I was the housewife looking after kids and he was earning the money, but that gave me this when I wasn't looking after kids and cleaning the house, I could do whatever I wanted, which was music. And so when my youngest went to school full time and this was 2008, uh, Trevor said, so what are you going to do now? And I'm like, Oh crap, do I need to get a job or something? (laughs) And, and that's when I said, I'd like to pursue uh, looking at music and TV and film because I knew I didn't want to go away. I'd done a lot of going away and I didn't want to do that for a while. And so he said, well, go for it. And so because, again, because I've had so much support, I took it so seriously and I, in the moment the kids are at school, I would start, I would work and work and work and work until they, until I had to go pick them up and then it was switching back into mum mode. So I did that until... Uh, a couple of years ago when we started, Big Little Lines started doing stuff. So I didn't go away in that whole time and I didn't want to. And then when my, you know, now that my daughter's left home, my son's kind of fairly self-contained and he's all about his dad, which is great. And so I go away and he doesn't miss me. <laughs> and he says, he, he, I said, do you miss me when I go away? He goes, um, because I know you're coming back. And I went, okay. I said, that's cool. It's okay. It's cool if you don't miss me because it means I I have the freedom. So I go away and, you know, Trevor takes care of Charlie and it's all good. Nice. Yeah. I mean, when I talk, when I say it all out loud, it sounds like a bit kind of too perfect. But my daughter definitely needed me at home. I couldn't have gone away a lot while she was living here. Mm. She, you know, I think girls need their mums, so. Right. Yeah, so now that she, you know, she's successfully flown the nest, then, yeah, I can do what I like. 
it sounds like it was just constant adaptation as as things changed and the needs changed but yeah it is and say we Trevor and I talk a lot so there's a lot of communication and what's going what's what comes next and yeah I think that's really important and just to be honest with each other about stuff are there any books you've read recently or in the past that have really impacted your thinking approach to music or life I don't read non-fiction much <laughs> you read fiction that's all right you can mention a fiction book if you want with regards to music, not yeah, reading for me is just an escape. It's something else. So, wow, I sound very unlearned. <laughs> uh, learned, as Thomas Simpson would say. I can't. No, I don't know. I can't. I can't think. No, I no no. I'm I'm illiterate. <laughs> <laughs> do you do you listen to anything or read blog posts or podcasts or anything like that? I don't. I'm a bit of a, I like silence. Oh, fair enough. Weird. Because once I've been doing mute, even actually, you've never have it. I don't, I'm not, I like quiet. Is that wrong? <laughs> not I, necessarily. But Paul's, Paul's got me into something. He, when, when we're traveling, he likes playing podcasts. So, we, so I've listened to a few podcasts that he's played, which are, which are, I, I've really enjoyed them. I should probably download some, but to be honest, I like CBC so much that when I'm driving, I always listen to CBC. So I've learned a lot from CBC. Mm. They're, they're, yeah, they're my favorite. I was driving home on Sunday night late, and I was like, oh, this is just great. It kept me awake, and it was interesting. And They do have some great programming. They really do. I mean, there's rarely do I switch it off. Um, there's, yeah, so when I'm driving around, I just listen to the radio. Gotcha. Sorry, I know you do podcasts. <laughs> I should actually, I should download them onto my phone for long journeys. Well, you know, I just launched and originally I was going to launch with uh, our episode together, but you know. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's okay. It'll be in, I guess it'll be in series two. Okay. Yeah. So it'll be, it'll be great. So we covered a lot of ground. Is there anything else I should have asked? Ah. <sighs> think so i think we've covered music relationships politics <laughs> kids no i think i think i think we're all good awesome and where can people find you online uh they can find big little lines that you just type big little lines into google and we're all there it's big little lines.com that's right there at twitter facebook everything else instagram um and then helen austin again you just it's, i'm really easy to find i've been i've had my own um website because because my husband is a, in software and stuff he bought my name years ago so i i've had my own name on for a long time so i'm the, always the first on google it's these tech people are handy yeah that's important in this in this day and age right it, it really is i mean yeah it is all right. Well, thank you so much for your time and for your generosity and for coming back to do. <laughs> it's my pleasure. An encore. Okay. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Thanks for listening. Make sure to go to musicentrepreneurhq.com for show notes and other goodies and leave us a review in iTunes to help us spread the word. 